Wendell's World of Sports, a sports talk podcast that is unique, making you laugh and making you think. Talking about sports with a different twist, but the style and flair as attractive and beautiful as my Alexa Bliss. I go after the everyday of sports topics with a fury of Tyson, running over the competition like I was the bison, slicing through the bad taste and nonsense like a hot knife through butter. For those coming after me unprepared, Take yourself back to the podcasting gutter. If I were a prospect in the podcasting draft, I'd be selected number one like Trayvon Walker based on my skills as an exceptional sports talker, my talent generational, my rhythm and style beyond sensational. Great like the Say Hey Kid, they named Willie, my podcast being heard from Queensland to Philly. You say my sports talk podcast can't compete with yours? Man, don't be so damn silly. For the 2022 NFL season, I discuss which team we are believing will be championship competing, the chances of the LA Rams repeating Justin Herbert's impact on the sport increasing, and I do it in a fashion you'll find pleasing. Given my thoughts and opinions about who's the best team in the NFL, how Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos gel, will Cincinnati go back to being bungles or remain Bengals? These mysteries and other NFL topics I will untangle. So watch and listen to my podcast and have yourself a blast. Download and subscribe real fast. Can you dig what I'm saying like my man Shaft? Wendell's World in Sports. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and tune in anywhere, anyhow, in any way you listen to your favorite podcast. Right on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the World of Sports special dedication. Who's taking the time to listen to my audio episode of Wendell's World in Sports. Wherever you're listening to this fabulous episode. iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon. Do me a favor, would you? Could you just go ahead and subscribe, download, like, review. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. And if you want to see this guy in action in terms of what uh, I'm doing, in terms of the video is concerned, a lot of highlights, different type of uh, program while discussing some of the same things that I'm going to be discussing here on the audio episode of Wendell's World in Sports. Do me a favor, go over to my YouTube page, which is Wendell's World in Sports. Subscribe, download, like, if you shall. Very much appreciated. Most importantly, as always, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, Wendell's World in Sports. As always, bonjour, bonsoir, good morning, good abend, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste, konnichiwa. Thank you so much. All right, in the program today, whew, the NFL season's getting closer and closer and closer, and man, I cannot wait countdown to the NFL regular season the first game I'm recording this on a Wednesday night this is like my third attempt here to uh, go ahead and to uh, 
go record these things, man. I was supposed to put this out on a Tuesday, as I always mention. But Sunday, I went to uh, church for the first time in a while, got sanctified and uh, confessed my sins. And a uh, couple of uh, swings and misses as far as the recording is concerned on Monday and Tuesday. So here I am on a Wednesday evening going ahead and putting this stuff down. But uh, the countdown for the NFL regular season begins the first Football game of the 2022 season is left in a week away, August 4th, a Hall of Fame game, the Jacksonville Jaguars going up against the Las Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. That's not the most important thing. I mean, we all are happy. We all are excited about the NFL season now officially coming to uh, formation, starting to uh, take shape. I understand that when you're speaking about the first game of the season, especially with the Hall of Fame game, and you're speaking about Jacksonville, you're speaking about Las Vegas, that you're not going to be seeing the starters if you're going to be seeing the starters at all for more than just uh, one series. But, I mean, after what now? We're speaking about, what, three, four, five months without any football? I'm quite sure people are licking their chops and the saliva coming out the sides of their mouth thinking about finally... We get to go ahead and watch the football. I know I am, even though the Hall of Fame game does not uh, interest me one bit. But the thought that football is right around the corner gets me uh, Otis Redding excited. So, the first game, preseason game, August 4th. But, as we all know, we're speaking about the 2022 Hall of Fame class, which is going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame that Saturday, August the 6th, when you speak about the 2022 Hall of Fame class. Look, it's not as dominant, it's not as noteworthy, it's not as unbelievable, it's not as talent-laden as some of the others of the greatest in terms of classes of the Hall of Fame. But still, it's pretty well represented when you're speaking about guys like Tony Baselli, member of the NFL's All-1990s team, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro. When you're speaking about the originator of the Lambeau Leap, Leroy Butler, played for the Green Bay Packers from 1990 to 2001 was named All-Pro each year from 1996 to 98 at this time. One of the best safeties in the league and also a Super Bowl champion. Sam Mills, linebacker, 11 years, 1986 to 97 for the Carolina Panthers. The five-time Pro Bowler had 1,300 tackles, 20 and a half sacks, 22 forced fumbles, 23 fumble recoveries. Talking about consistency of greatness, age 37 is when he received his first All-Pro selection while helping the uh, Panthers run to the NFC Championship game and uh, with one of the best defenses at that time. So cementing his legacy and putting him in the position to where he could be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. NFL owns, NFL Network's own Richard Seymour. Defensive end, 2001-2012. Started his career with the New England Patriots. Was part of the starting and making of the dynasty. If you remember that first championship that they won, upsetting the greatest uh, team on turf, or the greatest team on turf, the St. Louis Rams at that time in the Super Bowl. That uh, was not a Tom Brady-led deal in terms of Tom Brady being the greatest and the legacy that he built. At that time, that was a situation where, you know, he was truly a game manager on the riding on the um, engine, which was being led by that defense. And Richard Seymour was a huge part of that defense. When you're speak, speaking about him being one of the uh, best players on the defense, winning their first championship when he was with the New England Patriots, the guy who won three championships, then was traded to the uh, Oakland Raiders at a time when, as we know, Bill Belichick likes to trade his best players who are coming up for tr- contract extensions. He likes to trade them one year earlier rather than one year too late. 
So he left New England as a three-time champion, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, then went to the Raiders for four more years and garnered two more Pro Bowl selections. So Richard Seymour, again, a Hall of Famer. Bryant Young, defensive end, San Francisco 49ers, 1994-2007, four-time Pro Bowler, won the Comeback Player of the Year honors in 1989, or 1999, excuse me, after breaking his leg the previous season, second in 49ers history with sacks with 89 and a half. Here's one that uh, kind of surprised me a little bit. When you're speaking about, man, I thought I thought he was already in the Hall of Fame. Cliff Branch played with the Oakland Raiders, Los Angeles Raiders near the end of his career, 1972 to 1985. I could have sworn that Cliff Branch was already in the Hall of Fame. I thought if Lynn Swan and John Stoll were, in particular, Lynn Swan, I thought if he was in there, I thought Cliff Branch was much more deserving to go to the Hall of Fame before or uh, any time before Cliff Branch got in. Or excuse me, before Lynn Swan got in there, but uh, helped revolutionize the game, becoming one of the most dangerous deep threats of his era. 1974, his first season as a starter, he uh, was drafted. I don't know if it was Colorado or Colorado State. I know it was one of those two, but uh, he came in and he replaced Warren Wells. For the uh, deep threat of the uh, Oakland Raiders, Warren Wells was an AFL Hall of Famer who was still in his all-pro prime when uh, he played his last game because of some legal issues. But uh, Branch was drafted to replace him. And then in 1974, his first season as a starter, uh, Cliff led the league in receiving yards and touchdown receptions. And over the next three years, he would earn three uh, Pro Bowl selections and two All-Pro selections while leading the NFL in touchdown receptions in 1976, was part of that uh, twosome in terms of the wide receiver position, along with another Hall of Famer, uh, Fred Bolitnikoff. Bolitnikoff, more the possession receiver, the deep threat at the time with the speed and such, was Cliff Branch. I guess you could say that he was uh, probably the fastest player in the NFL for a period of time. And interesting, as his career evolved and as he got older wiser more mature and a better football player he became an all-around receiver as his skills in terms of his speed began to diminish with the age of time he turned himself into a really good leader and all-around wide receiver who can catch him deep who could catch it over the middle at a time where you could basically take someone's head off as you uh, crossed over the middle so uh, you know you had to play against uh, you know animals and unbelievable uh, folks uh, in, in terms of the uh, safeties and the cornerbacks who were looking to take your head off at that time but uh, Cliff Branch really structured his career from a speed deep threat receiver only or primarily to a guy who could do it all and was a member of two NFL world champions with the Raiders organization again just like Ken Stabler, man. I thought Ken Stabler was in the Hall of Fame for the longest. And when I found out that he wasn't, it was like, really? What? You're going to put Joe Namath in there, but not uh, Ken Stabler? But Stabler finally got in. <clears throat> and also Cliff Branch, who passed away a few years ago. But even though the man's not around to uh, be there for it, I'm quite sure that his family uh, is going to be elated and is elated about that. Here's somebody in terms of the 2022 Hall of Fame class. Dick Vermeil. Head coach Dick Vermeil leading UCLA to the Rose Bowl. Then after beating Woody Hayes in Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, his value was never higher, so he made the jump to the NFL to take over the uh, Philadelphia Eagles franchise at the time when Eagles, when the Eagles were 
a just a mess and inept franchise at the time. Um, led him to the Super Bowl in a few years after struggling just a bit. Then after he guided them to the uh, Super Bowl where they lost to the Oakland Raiders, he said, you know what, man, I need to take a break. I was suffering from burnout. Came back 14 years later. I remember the hiatus between his first stint as coaching with the Philadelphia Eagles and then his last uh, stint coaching or his second stint coaching with the um, coaching with the St. Louis Rams. He ended up uh, coaching the Kansas City Chiefs before finally retiring. I think he did, didn't he? Well, whatever. But uh, he was a guy who, uh, you know, was a really good uh, commentator. He used to call college games, I think, with Bruce, Brent Musburger for uh, ABC the college football games. He was really good with that, but then he came back and um, took over a struggling St. Louis Ram team at the time. Um, at the time, you know, the first couple of years, interesting, the first couple of years that Vermeil was the head coach of the Rams, I mean, it was a situation where they didn't have a lot of success, and many people were sitting up there talking about, hey, man, you know, this guy going into the 1999 season has one more year, just one more year, to make it happen before we get him out of here. And the big acquisition that was going to save his job and point the organization in the right direction was the acquisition, the free agent acquisition that offseason of Trent Green of the Kansas City Chiefs at that time. So what happened was Green tore up his knee on a cheap shot, low hit by Rodney Harrison, who was then playing for the San Diego Chargers, I believe in the first preseason game of the of, of the new season and it was just devastating at the time because it was like man we got the free agent acquisition we thought that we were getting the best uh, quarterback free agent and Trent Green he was going to be the guy that was going to save Dick Vermeil's job and point the Rams in the right direction so now we have to turn our attention because Trent Green is not going to be out for just a couple of weeks this is not a sprained ankle or a bad thumb this is a major knee injury so this is a situation where we are going to be turning to some no name never heard of them played college football at northern iowa played in the europe league uh as far as the nfl played in the arena league was stocking groceries somewhere in iowa some guy who when i first heard his name was the rams are going to have kurt warner the seattle seahawks running back play quarterback for the team what's going on here no kurt warner the quarterback no one ever heard of that guy well Guess what? Kurt Warner was the engine, while Marshall Falk was the heart and soul of a team that became the greatest show on turf and made the unbelievable turnaround of a team that was, you know, going nowhere to all of a sudden winning the Super Bowl, beating the, at the time, was it, were they still the Tennessee Titans with Steve McNair and those guys? Yes, I think so. So, um, yeah, so it was a, a situation where, hey, you know what? Dick Vermeil, great job, way to go. Almost started again. I mean, you take a look at that season, man. Going into that season, nobody would have thought, especially when, even with Trent Green, even with the acquisition of Trent Green that was supposed to be a bright spot, a major coup for the St. Louis Rams, no one would have predicted going into that season, coming off the past couple of years that the Rams had with Vermeil at their coach, no one would have predicted that the St. Louis Rams, even with a healthy, reaching all expectations, Trent Green would have done the things that the St. Louis Rams did. Especially then they lose that quarterback and bring in some no-name named Kurt Warner. At the time, nobody, 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 I don't give a damn who you are, 
would have said that, oh yeah, now we are clearing the path now with Kurt Warner coming in for him to uh, elevate himself to being one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the league for that season. And the Rams are now going to uh, set up, set all type of records, offensive records, and go ahead and win the Super Bowl. Nobody was predicting the St. Louis Rams to do those things, which... In turn, if I could just, you know, kind of sidetrack it off on the uh, off-ramp before I get back on the highway of speaking about the 2022 Hall of Fame class, that's the reason what makes the, one of the reasons why the NFL is so doggone intriguing because you don't know. And that's the reason why I'm always apprehensive to be talking about who's going to be doing this, which team is going to be doing that, which team is going to be winning the division, what team is going to be winning the conference championship, what team is going to be favorites to win the Super Bowl, because we don't know, because almost every single season, there is always a team that people are going to be like, there's no flipping way that team's going to be doing anything that surprises everybody, that surprises everybody and puts themselves in the position to uh, have great success and sometimes go all the way and win a Super Bowl. Example, last season with the Cincinnati Bengals. At this time, one year ago, as I'm recording this on the afternoon of July 27, 2022, if you go back 365 days, nobody, and I mean nobody, would have predicted, I don't care, I don't even think the owner Mike Brown Head coach Zach Wilson, oh, by the way, who was one of the coaches heading into last season that was on the hot seat after having a couple or three years of a mediocre to bad success. In fact, if you had him on the sideline for many organizations, he would have been fired before even getting a chance to do what he did last uh, season. But uh, no one would have predicted the Cincinnati Bengals to do what they did, to make it all the way to the Super Bowl and having a chance, a real shot, to uh, win the championship. So I don't know if it's going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know if it's going to be the Houston Texans. I don't know if it's going to be the Detroit Lions. I don't know who it's going to be, but there's going to be a cellar dweller. There's going to be a team that nobody thinks is going to do anything that's going to shock the NFL world. And again, that's what makes the NFL so great. So Dick Vermeil was one of the predecessors in terms of taking a team uh, that had no expectations in terms of having overall success and blowing the prognosticators who said that uh, let's just give Dick Vermeil one more year before they get fired, before he gets fired and he goes back to uh, broadcasting college football games on ABC with Brent. Shocked them all, shook the world, as my man Ali said. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, again, the Hall of Fame class, players that I just mentioned, Baselli, Seymour, um, Cliff Branch and such, good, good class, solid class, but, you know, not the best class when you're speaking about uh, comparing them to uh, the class Hall of Fame class, NFL Hall of Fame class of 1993 with Dan Fouts and Chuck Knoll and Larry Little, the guard for the uh, back-to-back NFL champion Miami Dolphins in the early 70s and Walter Payton, the one of the greatest running backs and players who's ever played the game, Bill Walsh, one of the greatest coaches, this 2022 Hall of Fame class. Does not compare in terms of a star power with the class of 1999 when you had maybe the greatest defensive player who's ever played, Lawrence Taylor. I know Reggie White's in heaven going, really? Uh, my man growing up, one of my heroes growing up as far as football players is concerned, Eric Dickerson, Hall of Fame class of 1999. Ozzie Newsom, one of the greatest tight ends who's ever played. They were part of that 1999 class, the 2022 Hall of Fame class. 
can't really put the star power to measure against on the same level as the class of 2004 with Barry Sanders, one of the most, if not the most, electrifying running back in NFL history. John Elway, one of the greatest quarterbacks of his generation. Carl Eller, one of the um, one of the uh, pillars of the Purple People Eaters, one of the greatest defensive front fours. Uh, in NFL history when he played with the Minnesota Vikings back in the 70s. The class of 2022 compared to, say, the class of 2010, who might be, I don't know, you're speaking about probably, maybe, possibly, the greatest Hall of Fame class that's been ever produced when you're speaking about Jerry Rice, not just the greatest receiver of all time, sorry, Don Hudson fans, not just the greatest receiver of all time, but maybe the greatest football player of all time when you're speaking about Jerry Rice being inducted in the class, Hall of Fame class of 2010 with possibly one of the greatest, if not the greatest running back of all time and the all-time rushing leader in Emma Smith, along with a great linebacker for the New Orleans Saints and Ricky Jackson and Washington then Redskins guard Russ Grimm of the uh, of the Hogs fame, John Randall, underside defensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings and one of the great running backs in the AFL, Floyd Little being the class of 2010. So yeah, the... Uh, 2022 class might not have that type of star power or that type of oomph or that type of cachet, but uh, hey, man, it doesn't matter. When you make it to the Hall of Fame, baby, it doesn't matter. They don't have separate uh, separate uh, um, places in the Hall of Fame. That gold jacket is just as gold. Uh, let me tell you something, man. Uh, Tony Baselli and uh, Bryant Young and all those guys, Richard Seymour, their gold jackets are going to be just as gold as everybody else who came through those doors. Those busts are going to be looking just as pretty and just as fantastic. And uh, there's no asterisks. There's no yeah buts. Doesn't matter, man. You reach that uh, plateau. You reach that level of higher ground. I'm not talking about Stevie Wonder. And it is, it's got to be the ultimate in terms of what have you done as an athlete and a professional athlete and a football player. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Moving on, there's some interesting things. Look, we've got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be putting out audio podcasts every 10 or 15 days or something like that. It'll be back to normal, believe me. So there'll be plenty of time to talk about some of the NFL storylines heading into the season. Here's something, though, that I uh, want to uh, speak about uh, for the NFL portion of this podcast. The $230 million five-year contract extension given to Arizona Cardinals quarterback uh, Kyler Murray. Very interesting. Did you hear about this nonsense, about some of the details about the new contract he uh, signed? Should be raising some red flags as well as eyebrows. When you speak about, yeah, he signed five-year extension worth $230.5 million. When you take a look at some of the details and an extension that runs through 2028 and includes $160 million guaranteed. Murray's going to make $105 million fully guaranteed upon signing the deal. The average annual value of Murray's deal is $46.1 million, which is the second highest in the NFL, only behind Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers who's making an annual average of $50.3 million. Oh, here's the difference. Um, Rodgers is an NFL champion, a bona fide Hall of Famer, and one of the greatest quarterbacks, not just in his generation, but in any generation. A guy who's approaching now, what is this going to be, his 14th, 15th year, somewhere around there? 
Uh, Kyler Murray hasn't done the things that um, Kyler Murray has not done the things that Aaron Rodgers had, and yet he's still making this type of money. Now, Deshaun Watson, Cleveland's Deshaun Watson, his their uh, his deal with the Browns has an an uh, average annual value of forty six million, and Patrick Mahomes' deal averages somewhere around forty five million. So, hey man, supply and demand. Don't don't hate the player, hate the game. But with all of that being said, and as I mentioned before, this is this is just dealing with anything, man. When you're speaking about these type of numbers, when you're speaking about these colossal type of numbers, I don't care what profession that you're in. I don't care if you're digging ditches. I don't care if you're supposed to be throwing touchdown passes. I don't care if you're shooting baskets. I don't care if you're hip-checking and putting a puck into a goal. I don't care if you're closing big deals. I don't care if you're teaching our children. I don't care what you're doing, man. I don't care if you're broadcasting on the internet, podcasting at a, out in Tulsa, down in L.A., over in D.C., across the globe. I don't care what you're doing, man. When you put a figure like the annual average and the numbers and the dollar sign, the amount that's now attached to Kyler Murray. He looked at it in a different way. He looked at it in a totally different way. Now, you're speaking about those expectations that maybe before this contract was signed and some of the performances, some of the professionalism or lack thereof that's being reported about Kyler Murray. Maybe some of those things you could have brushed aside or maybe some of those things you could have mitigated in terms of the impact that it had on winning and maybe you could have made excuses, plausible excuses. When you sign a five-year, $230 million contract, when you're now all of a sudden in the same era in terms of being paid is concerned with some of the great players in the NFL, a perennial all-pro and all-time great in Aaron Rodgers, a guy who right now is considered probably the best, if not one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes and everything that he's done. Well, now you're in that stratosphere because of the amount of money that you're making. Changes the game. It changes the game, man. Now, all of a sudden, some of these things that uh, Kyler Murray could get away with or maybe slip through the cracks some of the criticism and such. Maybe not just not, not just coming from an individual standpoint in terms of statistical and everything, but now from a team standpoint. We, we don't give a damn who about who's injured on a week-to-week basis. We don't give a damn about the offensive line. We don't give a damn about how, the bad de- how bad the defense is. We don't give a damn about the organization. We don't give a damn about all of that. When you're making the type of money that Kyler Murray is now going to be making, Because of the money and the dollar amount, that's supposed to supersede all of those things. Okay, Aaron Rodgers loses Devontae Adams. That's okay. When you're making the type of money that uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be making, we can afford to lose Devontae Adams because we don't need a Devontae Adams for the Green Bay Packers on offense to to still be highly successful because we have Aaron Rodgers. And that's the reason why we're paying him $50 million. If we didn't have someone like Aaron Rodgers, we had someone noticeably less, then yeah, we would have had to break the bank for Devontae uh, Adams to stay in Green Bay because we needed somebody to help Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers is so great, we can afford to lose one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver in the game currently, and we'll still be fine. We'll still be fine. Same thing with Kansas City trading Tyreek Hill. 
You can't pay Patrick Mahomes. You can't pay Tyreek Hill mega amounts of money and then expect to win championships. You saw that offensive line performance the last time that the Kansas City football team made the Super Bowl. And if you saw the defense for almost all of the season, uh, last uh, season for Kansas City. But because you have Patrick Mahomes, we can afford to lose. We can afford to trade one of the most dangerous receivers in the game and we'll still be fine. That's what paying Patrick Mahomes $45 million means for the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray because you don't have DeAndre Hopkins for half the season. Doesn't matter. That's not an excuse anymore for Kyler Murray and still not to be a uh, top five, top six quarterback on most occasions, on most Sundays, Thursdays, or Mondays. So, man, that's what happens. The excuse now are really over for Kyler Murray moving forward as quarterback with the Arizona Cardinals. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. But getting back to some of the language that was in the contract, interesting language, shall I say, includes an addendum that requires Murray to study film for four hours per week during the season to stay in compliance with his new deal, huh? The clause is labeled in independent study addendum. Now, according to the contract, Murray is going to need to study material provided to him by the club in order to prepare for the club's next upcoming game. Murray will receive quote-unquote credit for completing his film study. The addendum states the time that Murray spends in mandatory meeting studying does not count and that Murray also won't receive credit if he does not personally study the provided material in good faith. I don't, I don't know. Are they going to give him a pop quiz? Are, we, are they going to give him a fill-in-the-blank test? I mean, are they going to be giving him uh, multiple choices? He's going to have to bring a number two pencil and a Scantron sheet uh, every uh, every time, every Thursday, every Friday before game time to uh, get ready. I mean, what happens if he fails the test? I, I understand that there's going to be a penalty in terms of his contract is concerned, but uh, I mean, how is that going to uh, deal with the team moving forward? Failure to meet addendum requirements will mean Murray will be deemed to be in default of his contract per the wording in his agreement. The addendum kicks in the season and lasts through 2028, which is when the Cardinals can pick up a club option. I, You know, on, on one hand, if you're Kyler Murray and you're like, hey, look, I study and I do all this and I do all that and I come prepared and all these type of things, then... I mean, it might be a little bit embarrassing that this came out into the open. I mean, all of the pundits and everybody, you know, talking about Kyler Murray in terms of is he, is he unprofessional and all these type of things. I, I don't know in terms of how he prepares. I, I, I don't know. We, Kyler Murray does not have to please those guys. So as long as he does what he's supposed to do and those checks don't bounce, I mean, who cares what me, you, or Richard Seymour or Shannon the Skip or uh, Screaming A or the Molly Crumb Show or the uh, Mike Greenberg Show or... Uh, Anybody else says about the deal, if he's uh, confident in what he can do at four hours a week, I mean, that's less than, I mean, I, I guess if you're speaking about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, takes the test on Friday, if that's going to be the case, I mean, you're, you're speaking about an extra hour a day going over stuff. I mean, that should be something that's pretty elementary and pretty easy, shouldn't it be? I, I, I'm, I'm just saying. And, you know, the, the, the question then that, people have is, is that well i mean if you're going to be having to put this language 
into a contract, why in the world in terms of he has to study, he has to be a professional, then why in the world are you giving this 24-year-old kid who hasn't won a Super Bowl, who hasn't been to a Super Bowl, who hasn't won a playoff game, who hasn't won a conference championship, who hasn't won a divisional championship, why are you giving this guy the amount of money and pay him like he has done all those things? What's the deal about that? Well, with the Arizona Cardinals, I, I guess you could say on one hand, um, they, they kind of played themselves in terms of if Kyler Murray was truly sincere at this press conference when he was saying like, look, man, this is the only place I want to be. This is the only place I want to go. The, the Arizona Cardinals sort of kind of played themselves, don't you think? To give him all of that type of money? Now, now I look, I understand. Kyler Murray has the potential um, to go down as the greatest quarterback in St. Louis, Chicago, Arizona history. When you're speaking about the Cardinals organization, the organization now that I'm guessing is probably over 60 or 70 years old, started off in Chicago, moved to St. Louis, and then moved in 1988 to Arizona. So, I mean, Jim Hart had a pretty nice career with the Cardinals, 18 years, led him to the playoffs a few times, but never made it to the Super Bowl, never made it to the championship, conference championship. I don't know how many division titles that he won, but for a while, Jim Plunkett, excuse me, geez, Jim Hart, back in the 70s, was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, and his longevity to stay mainly with one organization puts him at the uh, top of the top of the heap when it comes to the greatest quarterbacks in Cardinals organization. I guess you could say maybe the best, most accomplished quarterback in that history, in that franchise's history, has to go down to Curtin Warner when you're speaking about him and his five-year run that he had with the Cardinals organization, taking them to the Super Bowl, coming oh so close of winning a Super Bowl himself. But when you take a look at the amount of quarterbacks that have been running through the pipeline with that Cardinals organization since they moved to Arizona from St. Louis in 1988, and you take a look at the longevity or lack of longevity of quarterbacks who have been with the Arizona Cardinals and their lack of success to go along with it when uh, five years with Carson Palmer and... Kurt Warner are the are tied for second in terms of the longest during that span of 88 to present, the longest being Jake Plummer working at the Deuce KD USA of 1060 in Phoenix and uh, having the morning and afternoon show. Speaking about the Arizona Cardinals, I was there, man, in terms of the Jake Plummer deal. I mean, if you wanted to get phone lines lit up, all you had to do, if the easiest thing you had to do was say, Jake Plummer, should he be the starter for the Arizona Cardinals or not? And bloop, bloop, bloop. And off it went. <laughs> off it went. So, uh, you know, I, I guess you could say maybe because you had Carson Palmer not being homegrown and not being drafted along with Kurt Warner by the organization. And you're speaking about Jake Plummer, who not only played his college ball in the area, then played for the uh, pro team. He was a very, very polarizing player. I don't, including Pat Tillman. I mean, I think probably the most polarizing and the most, the word famous is not the, the right word, but the, uh, the, the, the man who stirred the most passion as far as the Arizona Cardinals franchise is concerned was Jake Plummer. And he was there for six years. So what I'm saying is there's a dearth in terms of great quarterbacking 
when it comes to the Cardinals organization. Kyler Murray now has the opportunity to do that. And when and when you speak about a guy who was drafted by the Cardinals and you take a look at what he's done his first three years in the league um, and, and you see that, you know, after going 3-13 the season before Arizona drafting Murray number one, then or before drafting Murray number one, basically going ahead and getting themselves Cliff Kingsbury out of Texas Tech and the type of offense that Kingsbury ran in college at Texas Tech and then bringing that over to the NFL and trying to find a quarterback to fit that system the year before with Arizona drafting Josh, Josh Rosen with their number one pick and then Kingsbury saying, hey man, give me a guy like um, give me a guy like Kyler Murray who fits my system to a T. They went from 3 and 13 the first year drafting Murray, the number 1 pick, and then his rookie season going 5, 10 and 1 with Murray winning the offensive rookie of the year, then the next season going 8 and 8 after starting off 6 and 3 with Kyler Murray getting injured, uh struggling at the end, the team going ahead and finishing 8-8. Eight and eight. And then last season, for the first time in six years, making the playoffs after finishing 11-6. A pattern, once again, when you're speaking about Kyler uh, Murray and his effectiveness and the impact that he has on this team, starting off the season red hot in terms of uh, his play is concerned, right up there with some of the top QBs during that season. But halfway point a little bit past the halfway point of the season the Cardinals struggling Kyler Murray getting injured and then Arizona uh, speed deeming slowing down to a crawl and then in their first playoff uh, game in a while Kyler Murray and the Rams getting excuse me Kyler Murray and the Cardinals getting embarrassed by the Los Angeles Rams in the playoffs so all of this if you take a look at it only player in NFL history, when you speak about Murray, with 70 touchdown passes and 20 rushing touchdowns in the first three seasons. He's the only Cardinals quarterback to throw for over 3,500 yards, 20 touchdown passes in three straight seasons. His 13,266 combined passing and rushing yards is the third most in league history during a player's first three seasons. Overall, he's been an above-average quarterback. Uh, during his playing career with the Cardinals. So so basically, all of this is to say, especially with the style of play that the Cardinals have, the Cardinals really didn't have a choice but to re-sign him. Because if you were going to trade Kyler Murray, or if you were going to release Kyler Murray, then it would be a situation where the best interest for the Cardinals would be to blow up the entire organization and start all over again from a coaching standpoint. Because Cliff Kingsbury the head coach for the Cardinals, and Kyler Murray, the quarterback for the Cardinals, they're so in sync in terms of the offensive philosophy and the offensive system that fits the the skill set of Kyler Murray that you couldn't bring in anybody else. You couldn't trade for anybody else. There's no quarterback in the league that could be as effective playing the style and the way that Cliff Kingsbury wants to play other than Kyler Murray, maybe with the exception of Lamar Jackson. I've said it before, there's no offense more tailored for in terms of the skill set is concerned than the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray with maybe the exception for years with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks and the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. 
So this was the situation where there was no plan B. There was no yet yeah, other. There was no, we'll just go out and get ourselves another Kyler Murray to fill in and do the things that Kyler Murray did and did him better. Because there isn't anything. There isn't anyone. There's no one in the NFL. There's really nobody coming up in the draft that could replicate what Kyler Murray does on offense and the responsibilities he has with his style and his tailor-made for the type of offense that Cliff Kingsbury wants to put on the field. So if you had to let Kyler Murray go, if you weren't going to pay Kyler Murray and you had to let him go, then it would be a situation where you would have to basically start all over again. And I don't think the Arizona Cardinals wanted to start all over again. So this was a situation where, look, they were kind of backed into a corner to where, yeah, faults, warts, shortcomings, anything that you want to say in terms of some of the some of the uh, reports that came out and then this language of this contract speaking about he needs to uh, study more. Report from Chris Mortison a little while after the season ended speaking about unnamed sources within the Cardinals organization that said that, um, that, said that Murray was immature, he was self-centered, and he was selfish and, and, and those type of things. And then there were uh, the quote from a New York Times profile on him in December where Murray's talking about, I think that I was blessed with the cognitive skills to just go out there and just see the game before it happens. I'm not one of those guys that's going to sit there and kill myself watching film. I don't sit there for 24 hours and break down this team and that team and watch every game because in my head, I see so much. That's, that's from Tyler. That's from Kyler Murray. That's not an unnamed source. That's not a blogger. That's not an opinion. That was Kyler Murray's quote from a piece that they did about him in the New York Times. And Murray didn't get on record and start talking about, well, I was misquoted or I was misrepresented or a flat-out liar or nothing like that. So, yeah, it's it's a situation where it's kind of like, look, man, you, you kind of brought this on yourself in terms of, you know, what kind of professional do you want to be moving forward? Because it's one thing to sit there and Zach Ertz came out and said, well, you know, the playbook, he knows this and he knows that. that that's, that's great. That's fine. But from listening to the Ryan Clarks in the world and folks who've played the position and the Tim Hasselbacks in the world speaking about this in terms of uh, the work ethic that Kyler Murray needs to possess to be a great quarterback, it's not just a matter of knowing your playbook, but it's also knowing the tendencies and finding weaknesses and the defenses of the team that you're going to be going against next week. It's great that you know your playbook, but do you know what do you know about the team that you're going to be playing? Their defenses, their weaknesses, their strength, what they like to do, third and long, second and short, two minute warnings, uh, you know, a goal line, all of these situations, all of these scenarios. So what say what say what is the scenario? What is going to be the scenario? What planned? What plan does Kyler Murray have? And from listening to these guys who actually played the game and actually played the position, that's where they say the, um, you know, that's where they say the extra film study comes in handy. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning, he, he feels that uh, Kyler Murray feels that he doesn't need um, film study. L- let me explain, man. I mean, as gifted and as great as you are, if Peyton Manning and Tom Brady need to burn the midnight oil, then there's no excuse for you not to do anything in terms of extra study to get yourself ready for a football game. And now that Murray's going to be making this amount of money 
the old, I don't need it because I'm smart enough to realize what's going on. I'm sorry, Kyler. That bullshit don't cut it. Because unless you're winning championships at a damn near Tom Brady rate, that bullshit about, I don't need to study hard. I don't need to uh, burn the midnight oil watching film. That bullshit ain't going to work, bruh. You're making that type of money now. You're in rarefied air, my man. You need to go ahead. You need to do those things. Those are going to be the expectations. I hope that he knows that. I hope that he knows that in the Cardinals. And, and, and you know, it could be a situation where that uh, clause or that addendum that he has on this contract after a while will be poppycock. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. One more thing that I want to discuss, because I saw this and I read this and I said, hmm, this is interesting. It was written by Keith Reed, Washington, D.C. native, on Yahoo.com, the life section. And it was entitled, Kyler Murray's Homework Clause and the NFL's Racist History with Black Quarterbacks. Caught my eye. Caught my attention, so I went ahead and um, gave it a quick read-through. Pretty good, pretty good story. Story focuses on what is said that an NFL team would demand such a thing from any quarterback, but especially a black quarterback in the year 2022. And he brought up Jamarcus Russell and how the Oakland Raiders used to, uh, you know, basically do the same thing with Jamarcus Russell. And Jamarcus Russell turned out to be a bust because he was immature and he was dealing with personal demons and he was with a bad organization and all of these type of things. So the Raiders gave him a boatload of money being the number one draft pick. This was before you could curtail some of the uh, money, the amount of money that you could be paying first round draft picks and number one draft picks before they put in a rookie scale. So the Raiders gave Jamarcus Russell all of this money and he turned out to be horrible in every single facet of the game. And, uh, Finish his career after three seasons with the Raiders with a 7-16-18 and 16 and 18 record and went down as one of the greatest busts in NFL history. Um, so he started off with that, and it was like, look, I'm not trying to say that we're going to be needing to compare Jamarcus Russell to Kyler Murray, but he was just basically saying that, you know, in the year 2022, this is kind of insulting, and, and, and you could take it for what it's worth as being racist. He said the homework clause recalls of an error if it ever ended when black quarterbacks were always questioned about their intellectual capacity to play what's considered the most mentally challenging position in the NFL. Black quarterbacks throughout the league's history, or at least since the NFL finally allowed James Slick, uh, Shaq Harris to become the first one to start a season at the position in 1974, for the Los Angeles Rams, got him to the NFC Championship game once with the Minnesota Vikings and had pretty good success with them before uh, Chuck Noll, Chuck, uh, Chuck Knox, ground Chuck, decided, decided to turn the quarterback position over to USC graduate Pat Hayden. But um, what he's saying is that there's been a long history in terms of uh, the stereotype of black quarterbacks not being intelligent enough, not having a mental capability to play the position. They've been routinely lauded for their athletic acumen, while white quarterbacks are celebrated as cerebral. I think that, uh, I think what uh, Mr. Reed is, is speaking about, number one is true, when you're speaking about in the past, you know, when you're speaking about an era, if it ever ended, well, it's, it's, it's kind of ended by now in terms of the stereotype of the black quarterback 
not having their intellectual ability to play the most mentally challenging position in the NFL. I think Warren Moon and I think uh, Doug Williams and I think that uh, many, many others have kind of uh, have shattered that nonsense and that stereotype and that ignorance and that bias and that prejudice. Now, are there some people in the NFL, higher-ups and such, maybe coaches, players, whatever, who still think that way? I'm not quite sure there are. But they're so minuscule that I don't think it's going to make a... Uh, a, a, a true dent, if any, in terms of holding back quarterbacks of color in terms of playing the position. Because if you can play the position, you can play the position. If you're good enough to play the position, you can play the position. And it's been shown with Patrick Mahomes and others is that there's one way to skin a cat and win a championship. You don't need to be Tom Brady. You don't need to be Peyton Manning. You don't need to be an old school um, quarterback. 6'5", 250, who could barely move. That, that, that is now obsolete. The Drew Bledsoe's of the world, the Troy Aikman's of the world, and, and, and those quarterbacks who were just, you know, monstrosities of size and, and height but can't move, those days are gone. Even with the rule changes protecting the quarterbacks even more, if you don't have yourself a mobile quarterback, unless you have the you know, experience in the greatness of a Tom Brady who after playing over 20 years knows every single defense that he's ever seen and because of his preparation and because of his experience and because of his skill and because of everything that he's put into becoming a great quarterback, he can overcome those things. Uh, unless you're putting in that amount of time and, and, and being that rarefied of an athlete and, and quarterback, then forget it. So the, the notion that accompanied a quarterback, especially when you're speaking about the stereotype, which was true for the longest in terms of the black quarterback mainly succeeding by his athleticism while the white quarterback being less less athletic and using his brain to get the job done, which would be more fitting and suitable for the quarterback position. Hey, man, as long as you're getting the job done, as long as you're putting the ball in the end zone, as long as you're matriculating the ball down the field, I don't give a damn what you're, you're doing in terms of how you're doing it from the quarterback position. If you're winning games and you're being effective, that should be good enough. I, I still think it's a situation that comes up with Lamar Jackson in terms of him being a quote-unquote running running back and not being enough of a traditional running back. Well, the last time I checked, when was the last time the Baltimore Ravens didn't make the playoffs under Lamar Jackson? And I'm, I'm sorry, wasn't Lamar Jackson also an MVP candidate? So, so all of this stuff is kind of nonsensical in terms in terms of that is concerned. Now, with Mr. Reed putting that in the column, what did that have to do with, um, you know, the addendum clause where Kyler Murray has to be studying four hours a week, independent four hours a week. I think that he's laying the foundation to say that there's a history here of black quarterbacks uh, being disrespected of their uh, acumen, the intellectual acumen to get the job done. I, I think while that is true, I don't think that has uh, reared its ugly head as far as stereotypes are concerned probably in about 15, 20, 25 years. Again, are there still people who think that way? Yeah, but if you take a look at some of the uh, quarterbacks that have been drafted, especially drafted in the first round, it'd be hard to sit there and say that a quarterback has been overlooked because of what would be perceived as an old, out-of-date, ignorant stereotype concerning black quarterbacks who cannot think. I think that's out the window. Is there the... Uh, is there truth about that situation in terms of discriminating 
or not getting opportunities for a black man when it comes to head coaching positions in the NFL is concerned? Absolutely. As well as offensive coordinators. Absolutely. Living, breathing, fire, standing strong. That is without question in terms of that stereotype. But the stereotype of black black quarterbacks not being smart enough, I think that... Uh, I think that has died. And um, so, so you know, with, with Mr. Reed going that route, you know, again, when you speak about Warren Moon, when you speak about Doug Williams, and when you speak about others, and some of the examples that he was talking about, Warren Moon had to play in the CFL to start his career and prove that the NFL should have drafted him at his natural position. Yeah, that Warren Moon came out in 1979. I mean, we're speaking about over 40 years ago. Um, exiled like Colin Kaepernick, um, that was more toward... Uh, you know, uh, a majority of folks, folks on the other side of the tracks being too ignorant and being too stupid to realize what uh, Colin Kaepernick was doing. That, that was based more on a uh, political stance. That was more based on him exercising his First Amendment to uh, go ahead and, uh, and uh, make note of some of the ills and defects of our society before a football game. That had nothing to do with him and his ability to play football and his ability to think the game of football. So the exile of Colin Kaepernick, um, that was like, eh, I, don't know, I don't know about that one. But um, Reed went on to say that none of this makes the Cardinals organization racist or requiring Murray to account for the work he puts in to improve the mental aspects of his game. He wrote, they didn't need to expose their own franchise quarterback to the speculation that he might be playing Madden more than playing real football or that the team's execs were holding their nose while extending a guy whose commitment to his craft they thought stunk. At minimum, they should have known better than to treat the face of their franchise, a black face, in the brightest spotlight in sports like he was remedial in a world that's always been ready to dismiss talent like his. I hmm, I get what he's saying. I understand what he's saying a little bit. Yeah, I, again, because this notion has been so debunked in terms of black quarterbacks don't have the acumen or the intelligence to get the job done, I, I don't think that when this became public about him needing to... Uh, have it put in this contract that he needs to study more. I don't think that was an indictment on all black quarterbacks. I mean, now there's been black quarterback. Michael Vick was one who said that, look, when I first came into the league, I didn't study. Um, you know, Kyler Murray is not the, the first one. Jamarcus Russell is not the first one. But again, we're, we're speaking about a long time ago. And I think that we're speaking about now a situation where, hey, look, I, I don't think that you can attach that to the majority are, are there some ignorant folks who are going to come away with that? That, oh, the, the uh, acknowledgement, the public acknowledgement that Kyler Murray needs to uh, have this in his contract in which he's being paid $230 million is a referendum on the fact that uh, uh, black quarterbacks don't have the mental acuity to uh, get the job done. I, I, first of all, if that was the case, then... The real idiots are the Arizona Cardinals to be giving him that type of money. If you're going to be giving a, that type of money to someone who you think isn't smart enough to play the position, then you're the real dummies. So I, I don't think that's the case. I understand where Mr. Reed is coming from in this situation. But in terms of it being racist, I don't think it's being racist. 
I, I don't think in this situation is there in the past an attachment that could have been made if we were speaking about this situation in the 80s or the 70s with this type of thinking in terms of well he, they needed to put that in there because he just he's not he's not smart enough to uh, grasp the quarterbacking um, mental side of things like the white quarterbacks can I mean we went through that bullshit with the uh, not just with the quarterback, but also with the middle linebacker. In baseball, we did that with the pitcher and the catcher. I mean, we, 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 we've gone through this with the NBA and, you know, we had this with the point guard and such. Um, so yeah, yeah, th- that, that's been there. But now just in terms of our pl- uh, players are concerned forming those type of thoughts. Don't think so. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so at all. I mean, if a guy can play. A guy can play. I mean, if you're, if you've had the success that Kyler Murray has, and you've been given a two hundred thirty million dollar contract extension, yeah, is it embarrassing that they have to put that addendum that you need to study more in his contract? Yeah, but that speaks more toward laziness. That speaks toward uh, unprofessionalism more than just you know he's just your typical black guy. We know how these black guys are. They can't think. They're not smart enough. So because of that, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. But I um appreciate the fact that uh, Mr. Reed went ahead and uh, brought out the topic the topic for discussion uh, during that. So, yeah, man, the uh, NFL is uh starting very soon. Kyler Murray has got his money. Hall of Fame game coming up next Thursday. Hall of Fame ceremonies that weekend. Congratulations to the 2022 Hall of Fame class. Congratulations for us for surviving surviving a summer um, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the day's almost here. Counting it down, baby, for the NFL season to start. As I always say, NFL season, college football, football in general, just around the corner. Bring that corner around because I can not wait. greatest of them all the greatest of them all the legend the one and only the historical greatness of Otis Redding that's what I'm talking about school's going to be coming back for me next week the kids are going to be back in about 10 days so yeah man I always like to uh, let the kids know a little bit about the history of uh, some other things they are going to get there and they're going to try to learn or they're going to be introduced to science and math and some other things but uh you know, they ain't getting this, man. They ain't getting my man Otis Redding. They ain't getting my man uh, James Brown. They ain't getting my man Sam Cooke. They're not talking about Otis Redding. They're not talking about Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. They're not talking about Motown. They're not talking about Stack. They're not talking about Donny Hathaway. They're not talking about all of these uh, historical greats, which has led them to the world that they live in now. The fact that even though they might not be subjugated to it or listened to it, they need to learn. They need to learn. 
the importance of these folks. You need to learn that history. If you don't know your history, you never know what's going to be happening in the present or in the future. How everything that's happening today in this world that we live in, in this society that we live in, has tentacles, has history, has similarities to what other folks went through. And when I present that to them, more than just what's the Pythagorean theory or what's pi or... I don't know, man. What's a verb and a noun and, uh, I don't know, some other bullshit that, they, that they're that they going to be talking about. It's always good to uh, get them to uh, open up their minds because once you open up their minds to that stuff and they become a little bit more educated and a little bit more intelligent on those things, you'll be amazed or they should be amazed or their parents should be amazed or their teachers should be amazed at the core classes of what they can do when you put some knowledge that they can touch, that they can feel, that they have some type of connection to. And when I'm speaking about Otis Redding, when I'm speaking about Sidney Poitier, when I'm speaking about Martin Luther King, when I'm speaking about Billie Jean King, when I'm speaking about John F. Kennedy, when I'm speaking about the Civil Rights Movement, when I'm speaking about the Me Too Movement, when I'm speaking about Jack Johnson, when I'm speaking about Joe Lewis, when I'm speaking about all of these things that they're not learning in school, baby, Mr. Wallace is in heaven wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wall is so glad that you could be with us Ooh, there's going to be some kids who might hear this podcast and be like oh shit man i'm going to be in some trouble stay away from that motherfucker's class wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wall is so glad that you could be with us all right back to sports um i said i said i said i said i said i said that i was going to put away the NBA, I was going to put it in the closet, that my Halle Berry, that my Layla Roshan, that my Monica Bellucci, that my Selma Hayek was going to be taking a trip, that they're going to be gone, the loves of my life, that they're going to be heading off for a vacation, and then my mistress, then my Jada Fire, then my Cherokee Daath, and my others can come in naming the football season, I can draw all my attention to them, but unfortunately, this Kevin Durant news just won't leave me alone, so really... While I want to put the NBA away, every time I put it away, they keep calling me back. Every time I think that my Layla Roshan is headed toward the airport so she can take a trip back to her mama's house, she comes back and says, I forgot my toothpaste, I forgot my cell phone, I forgot my whatevers. The Boston Celtics have now joined in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, who, by the way, still a member of the Brooklyn Nets. According to ESPN, Adrian Wojnarowski, the Boston Celtics are among teams to engage and talk with the Brooklyn Nets on the possible acquisition of Kevin Durant. According to sources, the Celtics appear no closer to acquiring Durant than others in discussions with the Nets, but Boston's ability to include all-star forward Jalen Brown as the centerpiece in offers does help make the team formidable in its pursuit, the Miami Heat. Phoenix Suns and Toronto Raptors, oh, you saw you, Jerry, you little devil, you, have varying degrees of interest in Durant, but the Celtics have also been in regular contact with the Nets, which I'm going to say where there's smoke, there's fire. Now, I'm not going to say that this deal is going to get done, but what I am saying is if I'm Jalen Brown, um, seems to me that you guys want to uh, get rid of me for Kevin Durant. Now, I'm... A little bit flattered that, uh, you know, it's, it's Kevin Durant and not Donovan Mitchell or so or someone of that ilk. It is one of the greatest players of all time and still one of the top players in the game today. But I, I am also a little bit hurt because I thought that we were building something here with um, 
the Celtics organization. I thought it was going to be me and Jason Tatum playing the role of Batman and Robin. And uh, we just made the finals, for heaven's sakes. We were two games away from winning the championship. We're still a young core. And you're looking to trade me? You want to trade me? Now, the Nets want a return that potentially includes multiple unprotected first-round picks, swap picks, and impactful players for Durant. Which, as I mentioned before in other podcasts, if you would have saw, if you saw what Rudy Gobert got uh, uh, fetched from the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, sending him to the uh, sending the uh, Utah Jazz, the Utah Jazz sending Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves, and what Minnesota had to pay to get Rudy Gobert. If I'm Sean Marks, I'm like, well, if all of those things are going to be for Rudy Gobert, you think I'm going to do anything less for Kevin Flippin' Durant? I don't think so, especially a guy who has four years and $198 million left on his contract. Forget the 198 but four years left on his contract. I'm not giving that guy away. I'm not giving, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving away Kevin Durant 60, 60 cents, 65 cents on the dollar. No, this is a dollar for dollar. This is a dollar ten for a dollar, my man. Sorry. So, Look, Boston is able to construct the package for Durant. They have the necessary, they have the young, impactful all-star player potential in Jalen Brown. They have picks as many as a 2025, 2027, 2029 first-round pick. They have two swap picks, 2024, 2026. So you're taking a look at five picks that the... um, that the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics can work with in terms of negotiation is a concern. Jalen Brown, only 25 years old, still has two years, $56 million left on his current contract. Uh, well, now you might be saying, well, what about Jason Tatum? The Celtics are like, no, no, we're not, we're not giving away Jason Tatum as well. They shouldn't. I mean, that's a situation where I can't think as far as Jason Tatum is concerned. As far as Jason Tatum is concerned, man, you're speaking about him in terms of trades. You're speaking about someone, if I'm Boston, if I'm Jason Tatum, uh, I'm thinking maybe there's maybe two or three players that I'm going to trade Jason Tatum for. I'm going to trade him for Giannis. I'm going to trade him for Luka. I'm going to trade him for Jokic. And uh, that's about it. I'm not trading him for Devin Booker. I'm not trading him for Embiid. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm not trying to trading him for Kyrie or Paul George. Yeah, I'm not trading him for Zion. I'm not trading him for any of those guys. So yeah, so I mean, in the situation, I'm not even trading him for Kevin Durant. So yeah, that's a, that's a non-starter for the. Uh, for the Nets in terms of, well, we'll trade to Kevin uh, Durant. So <clears throat> how many picks are you going to give us to go along with uh, Jason Tatum? I thought we could just, hello, 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 Brad, Brad, hello. Did that motherfucker hang up on me? Brad? <laughs> yeah, you had you had the dial tone with Jason Tatum. So, yeah. Now there's questions about Boston trading their future for Durant. Here's the thing, though, that, that people always talk about trading the future, trading the future. I think it more has to deal with, with the picks. How many picks are the Celtics? If they're really engaged in talks with the Brooklyn Nets about this deal, how many picks are we talking about if you're Brooklyn and Boston that we're going to be working with? Three, four, five? I mean, I can't give you all my draft picks, but this stuff about trading your future, I think it more had to deal with draft picks 
than it does with Jalen Brown. Look, Jalen Brown might be 25 years old. Jason Tatum might be 24 years old. They made it to the NBA championship uh, this past season and all of these great things. That's, that, that's fine and dandy. But realistically, in a world like the NBA, as a tandem that can lead a team to a championship, how many years does Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have together to make that happen? Because if you're thinking about, well, I mean, you know, this is a situation, Jason Tatum is 24 years old and Jalen Brown is 25 years old. So, I mean, realistically, they have seven, eight, nine years to uh, get the thing going. Let me tell you something, man. If the Boston Celtics don't win an NBA championship in the next two or three years, that tandem of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that ain't going to be happening. I think the Celtics have about three years, four possibly, if they're really, really patient, especially making it to the NBA Finals. The next step is, if you don't win the NBA Finals, then this then that season was a disappointment. So when you think about it, and you think about the time as a duo, as a tandem, as Batman and Robin, that's the two main guys that can win the championship for your organization, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. How many years do they really have left? When you're speaking about, oh, you know, Kevin Durant is 33, 34 years old, and he's got four years on this contract, and you're going to be giving away the, the, well, hold on for a minute now, hold on. If the trade was to be consummated, and you had Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant to go along with Robert Williams III and Marcus Smart Smart, and Derek White and others, you surround those two guys, Durant and Tatum, with those guys, and you kind of like stretch it out for four years, which team would have a better chance of winning the championship in the next four years? A Boston Celtics team that would have Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant as his two best players? Or a Boston Celtics team with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as their two best players? So that that's one of the things where people talk about you're going to be forfeiting your future, you're going to be throwing away your future. Yeah, maybe with the draft picks. But in terms of just the personnel is concerned, you're, if you trade for... Kevin Durant, if you make that happen, regardless of the draft picks that you give up, for the next couple of years, you're going to have a better chance to win a championship. And hey, man, in the NBA, you're speaking about 2027, 2029. If, if you're Emeka Yudoka, if you're Brad Stevens and those guys, there's no guarantee that you're still going to be in the positions that you're in in, you know, in, in, in three years, in five years, in seven years. You don't know that. Jalen Brown has two years and $56 million left on this contract. What happened if Jalen Brown wants to go somewhere else? What happened if Jalen Brown is so hurt by the fact that he was in trade talk that he demanded to be traded? I mean, then, 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 what, are we, then what are we talking about? Then where are we going? So I, I, I always thought that, like, hmm, the, the old giving away your future. Well, I mean, the future in the NBA can only stretch for a year or two. Because you never know what's going to be happening. Boston thought that they had themselves a dynasty when they acquired uh, a whole bunch of draft picks for giving up on the way past their prime expiration date for making a truthful impact on winning a championship by trading Kevin 
uh, Garnett and Paul Pierce to the Brooklyn Nets back in 2013, and Brooklyn gave them a boatload of draft picks. That was supposed to be setting up the uh, Celtics for a long-term dynasty run. How many how many championships, how many NBA Finals have they made since the last time that they uh, made the NBA Finals? And when was the last time that the Celtics won themselves a championship? What, about what, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there? So I, I, I'm not looking, if I'm these guys, and look, you know, ownership and everything, you have to get, you have to get the okay from that. But I mean, you know, 2027, 2029, I mean, who, who knows, man? Who knows? You might get a situation in a couple of years where Jason Tatum is yelling and screaming to be uh, traded, and you uh, trade him to try to recoup some of those draft picks. Who knows, man? So, I mean, all of this stuff about future, 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 future. Hey, I'm looking at a possibility of two years. What will be the what will be the outcome? What will be the likelihood? What will our team look if we had a duo of Jalen Brown, excuse me, of uh, Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant? Because how good is the tandem of Brown and Tatum over the next few seasons? Are they better than Giannis and Chris Middleton, Embiid and James Harden, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo? Potentially, if you're taking a look at, you know, Miami's always got their, uh, always got their uh, no sniffing around for something to do. What happens if the um, Miami Heat find a way to uh, acquire Donovan Mitchell? Will a team of Jimmy Butler and Donovan Mitchell supersede or be better than a tandem of Brown and Tatum over the next couple of years. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. Who knows, man? Who knows? Nikola Vucevic. Who knows? Who knows what's going to be happening with teams like Orlando in the next couple of years? Who knows? Who knows what's going to be happening with the youth movement that's going on in Indiana and such? Who knows? Who knows what's going to be happening with the Washington Wizards? Oh, that's right. They'll be irrelevant. But other than them, who knows, man? Who knows? Again, you get two or to three years in the NBA to do something. Then you have to kind of reevaluate and uh, in I'm not going to say move on, but the, but make some changes. Standing Pat is not the way to go. And speaking of Pat, I mean, remember back in the day when Miami won their championship with Dwayne Wade and Shaquille O'Neal and White Chocolate Jason Williams and my man from Georgetown University, Alonzo Mourning and Gary Payton and those guys? Remember that team that was put together and they were doing great and Pat Riley decided that he was going to put himself at the head coach and fire Stan Van Gundy? Remember that? Remember those moves? I mean, you make moves to win now. And you worry about later. You worry about down the road, down the road. So, there, there you go on that one. So, that, that that's an interesting look-see as uh, that, that goes on. But uh, all speculation probably points to the Brooklyn Nets having Kyrie and Kevin Durant on their team for the upcoming 2022-23 season. Or at least at the beginning of when the season starts or when training camp starts. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end with this. Look, man, when it comes to golf, I really don't care much about golf. You'll never hear me talk about golf. Not really a big golf fan. The whole deal with golf, country clubs, the discrimination, segregation, and all the history that comes with golf, not only in the history, but in the present. So, you know, for me, golf is not my thing. If you enjoy golf, if you like golf, fantastic. Wonderful. Not saying that there's an indictment on you or I'm better than you or any of that nonsense. Just for me personally, not really a big golf fan. But there is some news from the world of golf that kind of caught my attention. The the Live Tour. You guys know about this? The Live Tour? Well, they're expanding the 14 tournaments with over $400 million in total purses in the upcoming year 2023. 48 players competing for 
complete. I was sorry, competing on twelve established teams franchises for an unprecedented amount of four hundred and five million dollars. Now, if you don't know, Live Golf, which debuted with eight tournaments in the Live Golf Invitational Series this year, said there would be an increase of one hundred and fifty million in prizes in twenty twenty three. The players are competing for right now two hundred and fifty five million over the eight events this year. Most of them have been. Um, you can see them on YouTube, but the dates of the sites of the 14 events in 2023, they weren't announced, but they're expected to go across North and Latin Americas, Asia, Australia, the Middle East, and in Europe. And Liv has incentivized many of the biggest names in golf, including Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Brian DeChambeau, and others from the PGA Tour. They haven't gotten away Tiger Woods, but Liv Golf, as we know, if you don't know, they've been accused of what we call sports washing. The definition of sports washing is using spectacles such as sports to distract from or normalize human rights violations committed by uh, the Saudi regime. So Saudi Arabia such as horrible human rights violations, but they kind of you know like to mask those things by throwing a bunch of money and, uh, you know, having sport and to get people to uh, participate in their sports, to participate for their country Olympics and such. They just, you know, pay them extraordinary amount of money. When you're speaking about the sheiks and when you're speaking about all of those incredibly super duper rich people over in that part of the, uh, over in that part of the country. So when you're speaking about sports washing and you're seeing the definition or you hear the definition using spectacles such as sports to distract from or normalize human rights violations. I mean, that's something that uh, this country's been doing and continues to do for over half a century. So, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of like, I'm I'm sorry. When Ali went to Rome for the 1960 Olympics and won a gold medal, then he came back to Louisville, Kentucky, and he couldn't sit at a counter. He couldn't go to a certain neighborhood. He couldn't shop at a certain store. He couldn't go to a certain part of town because of the color of his skin. And he was uh, segregated. He was uh, put down. He was uh, treated less of a man because of the color of his skin. Uh, but, uh, you know, the USA had this phony reputation about we love everybody and all that kind of bullshit and all that kind of nonsense. That lie that still continues today. Huh. Not saying that we're Saudi Arabia, but when it comes to sports washing, every time that we participate in the Olympics, we are sports washing. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, get the. Look, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I always say that this is the racist, ignorant, selfish, divided states of America because for the most part, there's really nothing united about this country. It really isn't. So, uh, you know, it's a, but, but when you take a look at some of the top 10 countries with the lowest human freedom uh, indexes, we're not Syria. We're not Venezuela. We're not Yemen. We're not Iran. We're not Somalia. We're not Libya. We're not Sudan. We're, so we're not any of those countries. So please, I'm not saying that we are, we are not, we, I'm not trying to say that we are at that level. But then again, we're also not Switzerland or New Zealand or Denmark or Canada or Australia or Sweden or even the United Kingdom when it comes to the countries with uh, some really good human rights and freedoms and perception of race type of deals. Now, is there racism all over the globe? I don't care if you're the greatest country in the world or the worst country in the world when it comes to that stuff. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Black man can't be going anywhere, African included, where he will face no discrimination or no racism due to the color of his skin. No question, no doubt about it. 
depending upon what happens in 2024 with the way this uh, election is going to be rolling out and what happens with the health of my mom, hey, you know what? Running to Australia, running to Denmark, running to Calgary, running to Edmonton, running to Sweden, running to a place in Switzerland is not going to, running to New Zealand is not going to, um, is not going to, um, have me run away from racism because in those places, uh, being discriminated against yourself because of the color of your skin, of your skin still exists. There's that folks who play football in those countries and people who live in that country. Go YouTube some of their thoughts and opinions about it. So I get it, but man, you're speaking about some hypocrisy when you're speaking about some folks in this country kind of putting down folks who are, are golfers and such. Charles Barkley is contemplating whether he's going to uh, be a commentator for uh, Live Sports if they get themselves a television deal. I'm quite sure the people who are going to be televising this event are going to uh, face backlash from folks in this country talking about this is wrong, you're taking blood money, how can you be dealing with these type of people in this type of country where they commit all these human atrocities and everything? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you stupid motherfuckers go out there and get a book? Can you guys get a history book? Can people who really believe that, can you open up your eyes just a little bit? We we really don't have a lot of room and a lot of um, and a lot of cachet to be shaming and pointing at the figure, pointing the the finger in and trying to lecture somebody about uh, human rights violations and some of those other things. I, I'm sorry. I mean, this country is the last one. Or one of the last ones should be talking about that nonsense. Open up a fucking history book. Find out what the fuck is going on right now. Find out about Obama backlash from 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 uh, a portion of white folks and other folks in this country in terms of what they're wanting to do in the direction that they want to uh, lead this country. Talk to Hispanics. Talk to Asians. Talk to gays. Talk to women. Talk to uh, African Americans or black folks. Talk to them. Ones with uh, a brain in their heads and eyes that they can see. Talk to them about what's happening in this country, the climate of this country, the direction of this country in terms of the uh, wanting to uh, nationalize it, bring it back to the 1970s, bring it back to the 1960s, 60s, the discrimination, the taking away of freedoms and liberties, the direction that they want to go. Are you speaking about those in same-sex marriages? When you're speaking about those in poor communities? When you're speaking about those in the African-American communities? When you're speaking about those in the Asian and Hispanic communities? Speak about, speak to those people and talk to them about what nerve does, okay, basically upper middle class to rich old white people or white people in general, mainly males, what nerve do they have to be lecturing somebody about you shouldn't be taking money, you shouldn't be doing business with, you shouldn't be dealing with these folks for the Live Golf Tour? Really? Really? This country who has a history of lynching, this country who has a history of discriminating, this country who has a history of uh, fair and unequal, this country who has a history of separate and unequal, really? We're going to be giving, we're going to be giving lectures, we're going to be giving, we should, you know, education about this nonsense? Really? This country? Really? Really? Look, man, I mean, you know what? Hey, if you feel that way, Fantastic. If you have the moral fortitude or whatever in your mind and your heart to say, I'm not going to do this because of the moral stance that I'm going to take, good for fucking you. But man, I ain't going to be downing anybody who's going to the Live Golf Tour. 
not going to be down in any of those folks. Could you, could you imagine? We're speaking about golfers here, and they're receiving some of the backlash. Could you imagine if LeBron James decided to do, to do this kind of move? Could you imagine in his playing days if Colin Kaepernick decided to make this kind of move? Could you imagine the backlash and the criticism and all the vile and the anger and the race baiting and the stupidity and the ignorance that would be coming from the far right and Fox News and others if uh, Kevin Durant or uh, LeBron James or another NBA basketball player of any uh, importance did something like this? Could you imagine the ignorance? Could you imagine the stupidity coming from people's mouths at that station? And on far-right radio, and on racist networks, and from politicians whose only goal is to, you know, make this a whites-only, whites-ruled country, make this a whites-ruled Christian Christian country? Could you imagine the bullshit and the nonsense and the ignorance and the stupidity that they would be feeding folks out there who don't live in communities of diversity, who don't know any better, who are too ignorant, who are too blind, who are too uh, out of touch with the... Every day of society where you're living amongst people of all races, faces, and places. Could you imagine them listening and, 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 and heeding and learning and developing their ideas from those fucking stupid mother, race-baiting motherfuckers like Tucker Carlson and them? Could you imagine if it was a basketball player, let alone golfers, doing this? How many anti-Americans, how many he hates this country, how many, um, you know, he must be down with Sharia law, he uh, must be part of ISIS, he must be a Muslim. Could you imagine all of the ignorance and the nonsense that would be feeding people of cultures who are not, or neighborhoods or communities who don't have the ability to be integrated with others? So they're blind, they're ignorant to uh, how the everyday works. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that bullshit? Could you imagine that nonsense? Scary. So that's my one thing with golf, which makes me just chuckle when I speak about that nonsense. So, yeah, man, I'm going to I'm gonna end it with that. I got my Georgetown schedule and my thoughts and opinions about that. And, you know, um, and uh, I got my thoughts about uh, Vince McMahon stepping down as chairman of the WWE, an end of an era in wrestling what does that mean i'll speak about all that on my youtube video i'll be putting that out in a couple of days but i'm done here i want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast as always as i say man hey look the only way we're going to get past the ignorance that's being spewed that is being taught and is being given to us out here in our in our society and in this country by the idiots out here The only way that we can debunk, the only way that we can repel such nonsense and ignorance and hatred and evil that's coming from certain politicians and certain governors and certain people in this country, we need to, uh, we need to talk, we need to learn, we need to listen, we need to respect those of all nationalities and different races and faces and genders and political backgrounds for real and, um, religious backgrounds and who do you love and all that stuff. We, we need, we need to listen to them and we need to learn from them. We need to learn from them. We need to learn from them. So that's my, uh, that's my shot in closing. So yeah, man, Wendell's world of sports. This has been Wendell Wallace. Stay the way you are improve, listen, learn, educate, shut up and listen and learn and then take the lessons that you learn, bring it to the other generations. So 
in 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, the bullshit that we're going through right now, the ignorance, the discrimination, the prejudice, the misogyny, and the stupidity, the privilege that uh, we're dealing with right now on an everyday basis is mute, will be mute, and that stuff will not be a huge part of our society. Let's work to make that happen for our children, their children, so on and so off. So off. Wendell's World and Music, I'm out of here. Music. <laughs>